be seated. We are in the midst of our missions conference. It's been a blessing already to hear from missionaries yesterday night and then today during Sunday school hour and uh, Pastor Phil will preach today and then tonight at six o'clock come back and we'll have our regular Sunday evening gathering with Jeff Vaughn sharing about his ministry in Costa Rica. These are missionaries that we have partnered with for some time and uh, it's a great blessing to have uh, so many of them with us and, and thank you church for participating and supporting and encouraging. I hope it has been an encouragement to you as well. This morning, Pastor Phil will be preaching. He has been one of our uh, partner missionaries for over 10 years. Uh, I personally met Phil 18 years ago when I moved to St. Louis to go to seminary. The church we attended for three years was Good Shepherd uh, Presbyterian Church in South County, and Phil was an associate pastor there our whole time there. And really, in a very real way, he was uh, my pastor. Uh, I spent time with him. Sherry played with their worship team, and we really got to know him well and see God work through him in his leadership capacity and call him eventually to go to India. Uh, he grew up in India as a third-generation uh, missionary. His grandfather was there, then his father before him, and then he, now in for the last 10 years, been full-time there, or part-time, as he'll say here in a little bit, you'll see. Uh, but he has been ministering, really taking uh, some of the ministries his father led, participating in them and developing new ones, church planning, pastoring. Phil is uniquely gifted. I believe the Lord has really given him uh, gifts in just about every area of music, preaching, teaching, counseling, shepherding. Uh, he has a great vision for what God's doing in ministry and just a, a wonderful brother who is an encourager. And that's certainly been the role for him in my life over these some 18 years now that we've known each other. Phil doesn't look like he's gotten any older. Now, he looked a little old when I first met him compared to me, of course, but the man does not age otherwise. And he has an eight-month-old daughter, and he's considerably older than I am. And he's got an eight-month-old daughter. So it's, uh, it's just a joy. Every time I see Phil, I'm excited. I can listen to him really talk all day. Today, just though for the time we'll be here, but then we'll have him after. And it's just an, enjoy, an enjoyable thing to hear what God's doing through Phil File in the ministry in India. It's been a great privilege for us to be part of this ministry by uh, helping to support. But also, I know that many of you have uh, been praying for Phil and have gotten to know him over these years as he has come to visit us. And it's been a great relationship. We look forward to what the Lord will do through it going forward. So, Phil, it's a great uh, pleasure to have you come and minister to us. children, Ashlyn, Anna, and Amelia in uh, North Carolina. Oh, maybe not. I turned the switch on, but you know, you've got to have power going to the thing. Sorry about that. Wonder working power. Now we're working. I could yell, but maybe that wouldn't be a good thing. So I do bring you greetings. I also want to just uh, right off the bat thank you as a church uh, and many individuals who are concerned about our work, who follow our prayer letters, who pray for us. Uh, we deeply appreciate your partnership, not just with the finances, but with the prayer. I know you pray. Uh, with your connection and friendship, it's such an encouragement to be back here. I wish my girls could be here with you. Uh, and... <clears throat> 
with uh, just the camaraderie that we share in the gospel. It is so delightful to see God's transforming gospel, changing people here at Redeemer Church. It, it is absolutely delighting to me. I hope you enjoyed the good music that we just heard. I was sitting there going, ah, I wish I had this all the time. You've got it all the time. Beautiful musicians, thank you. Uh, you know, a beautiful building. God is good. Um, we struggle to find... Anyway, I'm not going to go there. Please, please appreciate the beauty and bask in the glory of what God has done. I hope you do. If you're visiting, come back. This is a beautiful place. God's people are beautiful, and more than that, the gospel is beautiful. And when it transforms people, it's radical, and I see that happening here. Wow, I don't want to get emotional right off the bat. All right, the theme of this conference uh, this morning is lifetime missions. And it's a great theme. It makes me think of full-time missions. Uh, And as Tony suggested, I'm going to tell you that my parents just retired after almost 50 years Uh, in the country where I serve. You all know where that is. And uh, it's just been a delight to be part of their ministry, but uh, they have given a lifetime uh, of service there. They just retired in North Carolina, which is way why my family is there. And it's a delight to be with them now as they adjust to life back here. We've been there 10 years, so that is part lifetime, right? It's not all my life, and maybe God will be gracious to give me the privilege of staying there uh, for a lifetime. But, uh, but what about you? Those of you <clears throat> that stay here and maybe never even really leave your community or leave this state. I know there are people like that that stay in their state all their life. Or leave this country on an official mission trip. And by the way, that is just okay. If you don't come to visit us in India, that's just fine, although I would invite you. If you don't go on a mission trip, I think that's fine in the eternal scheme of things. But we're going to see later what isn't fine. So this morning, I think the passage that we have for us, it's Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. If you would turn there, it's in your bulletin. I'll read it together for us. And we want to see, first of all, a definition of missions, uh, and then how it actually happens, and then we're going to look at the motivation Uh, which will keep us living a lifetime of missions. So let's read this God's Word together. Would you expect God to open your heart and your mind as we read it? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, Paul says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the nations, among the Gentiles, all the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is... Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy 
that he powerfully works within me. What a great passage. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Would it transform us? Would it refresh us? Father, help us to see your glory in our own lives. Help us to long for it in the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you a little bit about uh, this country's national parks. Maybe some of you have visited. How many of you have visited a national park in this country this summer? All right, a few people. How many of you have ever visited a national park? Aha, most of you. So you know what I'm talking about. They are glorious, glorious places. I had the opportunity to visit a number of parks when I was in college. I went to Yellowstone. I saw the scenery there, and I thought, man, wow. This is incredible, mile after mile of just mountains and trees and meadows and animals and absolutely beautiful. And you know, when you look at a beautiful place like that, I don't think many of you think, now let's see, if that mountain peak over there was just a little bit taller or this one over here, then it would look a little bit better. Or if there were trees over here, you know, there's a bare meadow over there and a creek running through it. But if there were trees on this side of the creek, it would look even better. You don't sit there and go like that. What do you do? You think, that is incredible, perfect, beautiful. Who made that? Of course, we know as God's people, God made it. Why? For his own glory. Just because it's beautiful. And we get to behold the glory of those national parks. I, I'm thinking about national parks because not too long ago, I watched a documentary. We sat up in North Carolina, turned the TV on, and Amina and I sat down, and there was this commentary on public television. It told about a guy named uh, John Muir. And uh, I guess he's sort of known as the father of the national parks in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, he saw the beauty of these places. He was an author, so he wrote about it. Uh, and um, then he sort of went on a life mission to try to convince the government to protect these places because he knew what was going to happen. If people come in, they're only going to mess it up. So his words were to the government, just leave it as it is, and it'll stay glorious. And so he tried to convince, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt, to make it a national park, and eventually he did. And one of the last campaigns of his life, after he made Yosemite, I guess, that's the park that he first um, was trying to fight for, um, he wanted to stop a big dam being built in this beautiful valley uh, because he knew that if this dam came in, all the beauty of the waterfalls and the trees and the meadows and the animals would be lost. And so he went on this lifelong rampage, a lifelong mission to try to stop and he actually died doing that. And of course, maybe as you know, if you visited Yosemite, it didn't stop that particular mission. There is a dam in the middle of Yosemite Park that now feeds the city of San Francisco with their water. But Yosemite is still there. And it's absolutely beautiful, along with the other, other parks. I have friends who I just talked with. I was telling them about this uh, uh, video that I saw on TV <clears throat> and just a couple weeks ago. And he said, you know what? I agree. They're absolutely beautiful. In fact, did you know what we did? He said, I said, no, what? What did you do? He said, we yanked our kids out of school for a year so that our family, they were preteens, the kids, so that our family could travel around this country and visit as many national parks as we possibly could. I thought, yes, that's what I want to do. What a luxury. I recommend that. Take all your kids out of school, parents. I'm kidding. 
but I'm not really kidding. Now, why am I talking about national parks? Well, because, uh, you know, maybe you're like me. I like to look for gospel connections in everything, especially things that are beautiful. And uh, there's a gospel connection here. A couple things. First of all, uh, people like John Muir, I'm not sure that he was a Christian, actually. His father, I hear, was a preacher. But people like him gave their lives for a cause of something that was outside of themselves. That's what he did. And that, to me, is just absolutely amazing and wonderful. Now I can enjoy these parks because guys like him got the government to set aside this beautiful 59 national parks. And I bet you they're all as glorious as Yosemite and Yellowstone and Zion. We visited Zion, and I come to find out from this video that it's actually named Zion because the people that fought for that park decided that this is the best thing close, you know, this has got to be heaven. And so they called it the New Jerusalem. This is what heaven must look like. And Amina and I were there. We agree. We're waiting to get to glory, and it's going to be like Zion National Park. But not only did people give their lives for it, um, they did it because of the sheer beauty and glory of it. They didn't have an agenda to make money. They just saw something and they said, we've got to preserve this, we've got to protect it, and we've got to propagate it. Now, that's actually what fuels missions, is when we see the beauty of our Savior, and we're willing to give our lives for it. Whether we go overseas or not, your lives are spent in just looking at the gospel and going, wow, God would save me? And and wanting that glory for the people everywhere who God is calling to himself. And in global evangelization, in gospel saturation, that's what we get to see. God bringing that glory in our lives first, And then we get to be part of the glory. We get to be part of the beauty and behold it. And let me tell you guys, the older I get, that is absolutely fun. That's worth living for. So this morning I want us to look at this passage and uh, three things I want to point out. First of all, uh, missions or gospel saturation uh, worldwide should be the pursuit of every mature believer. Now, this is very, very obvious. You go, well, of course, we know that. Everybody is a missionary. Well, maybe not. I'm going to tell you in a minute. But everybody is called to pursue this glory. And let me just point out to you, the Apostle Paul in these verses, he talks about this thing called the mystery. And uh, I think you probably know because you've probably been taught if you haven't, but this word mystery is referring to uh, this beautiful message that Jesus is going to come. He's going to shed his blood so that you don't have to, so that you can, by faith, have your sins paid for, and now you can have a relationship with God of freedom, of him now becoming your father and you becoming his child, and you can just rejoice in the glory of that relationship. This mystery wasn't always so clear as it is now. Paul says it wasn't revealed, so there's an aspect to where Uh, God didn't really make everything clear that Jesus was going to come and how that was going to happen. People knew there was going to be a substitute, but they didn't know all the details. But it was also veiled because they, in their own hearts and minds, 
chose not to accept it. After all, Abraham was told, I will be a blessing to you and you will be a blessing to the nations. That was the promise in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 to the nations, to the other people. Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. But it's for those people out there. It's for everybody. But the Jewish nation just didn't really understand that. They didn't see the glory. And I'm afraid some of us don't often see the glory. It's for each of us. This mystery, Paul says in verse 26, was revealed to the saints. Now, this word uh, is not the Catholic understanding of certain people who are really super spiritual, like missionaries, like the pastors, like those guys, you know, who are third-generation missionary kids. Right? The saints is everybody. We know from Scripture, the saints are people who come to faith and go, that's my Savior. I need a Savior. I'm lost, and I believe in Jesus. You are saints, like it or not. This mystery has been revealed to you. And then it says, to them God chose to make known, verse 27, among the Gentiles. This is God's choice that he would use each and every one of us to make this beautiful mystery that God is going to transform people from all around the world, from every different culture and stripe and color. And man, there's some weird people out there. We're weird too. But all of those people are going to be touched by the gospel. This mystery they needed to hear, and the application is for all of us. Now, you might say, well, okay, like I've heard people say, well, everybody is a missionary then. And actually, I want to clarify things because I want to tell you, I don't think it's helpful to say that all of us Christians are missionaries. First of all, I don't think it's biblical. The Apostle Paul right here says that he received a special commission that was given to him to preach the gospel. He doesn't say, God gave this commission, and all of you have that commission, so everybody leave, all right? In the next year, I want all of you gone. This place is going to be empty. No. It's biblical that some people are sent. That's what the word mission means. People who are sent to represent a particular thing, a particular gospel in our case. And so you send us. I am a missionary because I'm sent, not because I'm super spiritual or anything like that. I need a Savior too. But you're not missionaries if you don't get sent. Okay? And... It's not biblical. The other reason is because I think it actually makes this issue of going to be kind of like a program where we have to go to somewhere and you have to, you know, okay, I went on a short-term mission trip. Yay, I did my thing. My duty is done. And now I can come back and live my life here. Friends, that's not what this passage is saying. You're missing the whole point of missions if you think that missions is just going somewhere uh, short-term. So we're not all missionaries. And then, you know, it also trivializes um, the going aspect. You know, some people go to places where there is no representation of the gospel. It's a challenge to go there. Have any of you been to places like that? Where there is no radio station where you can turn on like there is here. All across this country, you can turn on a radio station. You can hear people preaching the gospel. You can hear people singing hymns. There are Christians almost, almost, not everywhere, All around you. I'm not saying we don't need a church plant in this country. I'm not saying that. But there are places 
where the influence of the gospel is so small, there are unreached people groups, and we live among them. So I'm telling you, to say everybody's a missionary kind of minimizes this aspect that people need to go to these remote corners. That's what brings glory to God. You know, the last reason uh, of why I don't think everybody's a missionary is because we fail to see what all of us, all of us, actually are. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, all of you, if you believe in Jesus. You're there to preserve those around you and your family and your spouse when things start breaking down. You're the salt of the earth. You're there to share the gospel, to to look at your own life and to see the ugliness there and to say, God, transform me. Uh, I need to be salt right here in this relationship with my children and my community in this church. All of us are called to be the salt. All of us are called to be the light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. All of you. And so right here where you are, high schoolers, are you being a light to your friends? Sisters and brothers, siblings, parents, are you being a light for the gospel to your children? Children, are you being that for your parents? All of us even though we may not all, not all be missionaries. So the first point is this. All of us are called, that's what Paul is saying, to them, to the saints, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. Now, how does this fit in with all of us going to missions? Well, let's go to the second point. Secondly, I want us to see that worldwide gospel saturation is fueled by the inner transformation of the Spirit in each of us. Verse 27, again, It says, um, what is this mystery? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. Now, in the context here, I believe Paul is actually saying, uh, Colossians, people, they were Gentiles, by the way. They came to faith because Epaphras went to them and shared the gospel. They saw it in him and they believed. They came to faith. Paul is now saying, This mystery is that you guys, the saints now, you all have Christ in you. The Jews thought it was just for them, but now it's in you. So there's an aspect to where now these Christians, these Gentiles who have come to faith, are in a sense now the Jews. So now we are those people who the other ones are the Gentiles for. And when they come to faith, they are the ones who have a responsibility to propagate this gospel. But, you know, it's not just that Paul is rejoicing that these Gentiles have been brought to faith. He's actually saying there's a unity with Christ. Jesus is in you. And that's what we propagate. The Apostle Paul has this body of knowledge. There's a content. In fact, all you have to do is just look right in the chapter before where Paul explains what the content is. Jesus Christ, we've got to make sure we know who he is. 100% God, 100% man. What did he do? And he's gone through that and he says, this is the gospel which I am heralding. But then he says the amazing thing, what actually needs to be known among the nations is not only this body of content. We could send it in a radio. We could put it on a DVD. We could pay somebody to multiply it on TV. But my friends, that is not gospel saturation. God has chosen to make known this mystery to people in the corners by you and me demonstrating what it is for us to have transformation in our lives. 
And so I want you to pray for your missionaries, a very practical thing. I want you to pray that we would be able to understand how our lives, how Phil Files' life continues to need the gospel, how I am a wretched sinner, and that I would continue to propagate how God has changed me and the glory of that, and also look for the glory of how God is going to transform people at Valley Bible Fellowship in the country where I serve. That's what I want you to pray. Don't just pray that I would be able to play the piano, although I do a pretty good job playing the piano, and I can say that because I'm better than Tony, after all. I'm not much better than Sherry. And, you know, I, I teach homiletics at the seminary, and uh, so I know a little bit about preaching, and, you know, Tony says I'm a good preacher. I don't think so, but, you know, but that's not the point, friends. It's not the gifts of somebody that's what is needed on the mission field. God uses that, praise Him. It's actually when I open my own struggles to people at Valley Bible. And in a Bible study, I can say, you know, I am struggling with this, but God has been gracious, and I see the glory of what He's done in my own life. That's what they need in other places. And so... Missions is about us exposing God's work in our lives with people. And an application for that is this. We have to go. There's no other way. We cannot just send money. It's easy to write a check. Maybe some of you have disposable income. You feel pity on some ministry, some missionary, some child, and that's good. But that's not what's going to propel world evangelization. What is, is when you and I realize that we are called to get out of our place and let other people who have no Christian to actually see interacting with the gospel in their own lives... I've experienced people like that where I come from. But even more than me, there are people who go to the villages and the remote locations in my own country where I serve who go to more remote places than I'm in. They need to go. We need to send them. So missions is not just, you know, you guys stay here and we can send our money because they can do it cheaper. No, 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 no. The Apostle Paul said, all of us have a responsibility to somehow be involved in sending people. So thank you for sending me there. Pray that I continue to actually live the gospel in my own life, with my family, with my children, with my session, with our congregation there. Going is absolutely vital. Thank you for sending people. And that's what the glory is. Thirdly, I want us to see that worldwide gospel saturation is the glory that we should each long for. We should all look for that glory. That's the beauty, to see the beauty in our lives. And that's what's actually going to propel a lifetime of service, whether you actually go or whether you stay here. Some of you, I feel like, are involved in a lifetime of mission because you look for restoration. You look for repentance. That's the glory. I've heard about it in this church 
which is why this church is growing, which is why you are involved in missions. In some ways, I'm sort of preaching to the choir. I don't need to tell you what to do. I could tell you how to pray, different ways to pray, how to give. You know, there are lots of options to give. I'm sure if you talk to any of us missionaries, we could put before you five or six things to send your money to, and all of them would be good. They would be used. I don't need to scold you and beg you because when you have seen the glory of God working in your life, it's just going to overflow. You're going to say, this is what I want for other people. If they only see Jesus, it's outside myself. I'm not doing this to puff myself up. But I see this because it's so beautiful. And I'm going to give my life for it. And if I can go, I'll go. But if I can't, I'm going to pray. I'm going to long for it. I'm going to make it possible for others to go. You know, the Apostle Paul here, right before, in chapter 1, let me just read that for us. I'm going to start at verse 3, if you have your Bibles. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has in you. Do you get the sense of what he's thinking? He's in prison, by the way. He's not complaining. He's writing this because he's been confined. But in his mind, there's no confinement. He knows that this victory is sure. And he says, I'm sitting in prison here, but you know what? The glory that I'm basking in is that this gospel is taking root all over the world. And if you don't see the glory of that, Paul says, you're immature. You're missing it. You're missing out on what truly is beautiful. As I close, I want us to come back to the national parks. I really see the gospel in it. I hope you do. I want to invite you to go to the national parks of this country if you haven't. And when you do, I want you to behold the glory. Look at the beauty. But more than that, I want you to again look at the gospel. Look at what God has done in your heart. One of the authors on that program said this about the national parks. He said that they were one of the greatest demonstrations of democracy because the whole point of the government designating and protecting them was so that every citizen, regardless of rich or poor, regardless of color or social status, could equally enjoy them for generations. I don't think any of you would go to the national parks and go, I wish the government hadn't protected this. You know what? They were created to be national parks because what was happening, actually, was that only the people in power, only the rich who knew somebody that knew somebody were able to go to these places. The common folks couldn't go. It was shut out for them. And so what John Muir and others said, you know, we want to make this available to everybody who wants to come and see it. The way to make the gospel available to everybody is for you to rejoice in the gospel for yourself. When you see something going on in your own life, where there needs to be repentance, realize that the glory is that God is going to change your heart and long for it. Long for it in your spouse. Long for it in your children. 
And when you see it, would you give thanks? Like Paul says, I give thanks for you because that's glorious. That is truly glorious. That's the only thing that's going to uh, initiate. It's the only thing that's going to sustain a lifetime of mission. Would God help you continue to see how God has revealed this mystery to you and me and how that transformation needs to be exported because of our joy and delight in the gospel? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, you have given us this great responsibility. First of all, you've just showered us with beauty and glory. We can see it in this country and evidence of the gospel in our midst. We thank you for that. Father, help us to continue to be sensitive to your work in our lives. Help us to see the glory so that ultimately you might receive the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.